0: You look rested this morning, man. You look rested.
1: Oh. <laughs> no, you're good faker. I, actually, I feel like really tired uh, Like probably more tired today than. The last oh day. no. But it's
0: okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Next time I'll ask I, I, I first. You do. You look rested. Better to look good than to feel good. Who said that? Somebody said that. Saturday Live yeah long time ago. Good. <laughs> good morning everybody. Happy resurrection day to everybody. Thanks for being here. We'll uh, begin now with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of your Son Jesus Christ. It is the proving ground for our faith that He is our Savior, our Lord, that everything in your word is true, that every prophecy is fulfilled. We thank you this morning you gathered us together as a family so that we can celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask today, Father, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct all of the goings on. And we would ask, too, Father, that we would be encouraged, strengthened, and rejoice in our hearts for this truth that we're going to be seeing in the word this morning. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'm going to do about do something a little different, just a little. Going to have everybody stand. I don't. Some of you may know this. A lot of you probably do. If not, you've got the lyrics right in front of you. So let's sing.
1: He is Lord. Come on. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You did that so good, we're going to do it again. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Very good. Very good. All the glory
0: glows to our Lord and Savior this morning. And just want to give you a couple of announcements before we do start today. First of all, prayer. Prayer is powerful. There are a lot of things to pray for right now. Just remember that. Try to make an effort to spend some time in prayer every day if you can. Remember the congregation, the church as a whole, the things that are going on, the people that are suffering. Prayer is powerful schedule note on sunday may 29th we will be taking a break there will be no service sunday may 29th so keep that in mind one other reminder and that is missions i want you to make sure that none of us forget our partners in missionary and evangelistic work you can find them on our website under the tab information and then fellow ministries information fellow ministries they they all need our prayers as well they need financial support consider in your heart remember that, that we are called as members of the body of Christ to promote evangelism we may we're not all called to be on the mission field but we're all called to support it in some way maybe it's just prayers all you can afford maybe you're, you have the ability for financial support Maybe someday you may want to actually participate directly in a missionary activity, either in the United States or, or in another country. So please keep that in prayer as well. All right, let's begin our message today. I'd like you to turn to First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 12. First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 12. This morning, we are going to look at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ evidence in god's word for the resurrection of jesus christ and it's plentiful and we're going to have we're just going to scratch the surface in the time we have together today we're going to begin again in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 12 now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is also vain. Again, if Christ has not been raised, has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also in vain. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead in a human body, then we should all go home. We should throw out our Bibles and apologize for ever preaching the gospel because it would have turned out to be a big lie. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Disprove it, and you've debunked Christianity. That's how important it is. But if he, in fact, was raised from the dead, as he said he would, then everything else he said was also true, and everything else in the New Testament is true also, so this morning we are going to examine some just some of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you know what you might be asking yourselves a question right now do we even should we even address this at all? After all, isn't the resurrection a matter of faith? Well, as it turns out, proving that Jesus really died, that he was really buried and was raised from the dead. Leaving behind an empty tomb is a profoundly evangelical pursuit. Big words. What does that mean? It's mean it, it means it's a central aspect of witnessing the gospel. Because while we as believers, right, we, we know what we believe, we understand that every word in the Bible is God-breathed, but the unbeliever doesn't. And so this one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, To be able to prove that, to be able to prove that Jesus really died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, leaving an empty tomb behind, again, is a profoundly evangelical pursuit. Don't take my word for it, though. Paul thought so, too. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, providing proof, providing evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turns out to be critical for us to witness. Now, it won't always be an issue, but it's always something we want to tell people anyway. What, how we know in the word of God that he, in fact, was raised from the dead and how the records in the word of God, the documentation in there is strong and is stronger, as we'll see, than just about anything else that was ever um, described in the ancient times about the death of a person. And, of course, in Jesus' unique case, the resurrection, look at Acts Chapter 17, verse 2. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reason. Notice this for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. He didn't just magically come in and, and say, Jesus is, is the Savior and then walk away. Notice he spent three Sabbaths reasoning with them from the scriptures. And notice verse three explaining, giving evidence that the christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this jesus who i am proclaiming to you is the christ paul thought that it was important to provide evidence that jesus suffered and was risen from the dead you know luke thought so too please turn to oh no yeah please turn to acts chapter one go back very beginning of the book of acts shows that two people also, in addition to Paul, thought it was it was important. Luke, the writer of Acts, and Jesus, the one, the one he's going to talk about right at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1, 1 to 3. Let's read that together. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive, evidence, proof that he was raised from the dead. He presented himself alive after his suffering. Notice this by many convincing what proofs. Luke thought it was important to be able to prove that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And Jesus did, too, because here he's talking about what Jesus did. Verse three, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, praying to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. We're going to see this morning that the Bible records at least 11 different appearances of the risen Christ to people in the 40 days between the time he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Eleven different events. We're gonna see that hundreds of people witnessed the risen Christ. Hundreds. And in many cases, we know their we know their names. The people then knew their names, and many of them were still alive 20 years later. So they had ample opportunity to to talk to these people, interview these people, if in fact they themselves hadn't been a witness and hadn't had a visitation from the risen Christ. A man named Wilbur Smith said this, we know more about the details of the hours immediately before and the actual death of Jesus than we know about the death of any other one man in all the ancient world. Let me say that again. We know more about the details the hours immediately before and the actual death of Jesus than we know about the death of any other one man in all the ancient world we also have an incredible amount of detailed notice the words detailed reliable evidence it wasn't hearsay it wasn't mystical it was very factual historic the documentation now remember who documented the resurrection of jesus christ well for starters all four writers of the gospels did at different times different locations different backgrounds of course luke in the book of acts did peter did in his ministry that's documented in the book of acts paul did peter in his letters and so what am i saying we have a wealth of record. Now, now the thing about it is, yes, we as, as believers in Christ realize that every word in the Bible is God-breathed, but even an unbeliever has to take a look at it if they're being intellectually honest and say, look at all the documentation that we have. Look at all the eyewitness testimony that we have that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if they don't accept the testimony of the word of God, where there were thousands of manuscripts that were written and found some within 100 years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The nearest thing to it in the ancient world is the Iliad. Now, how many people had to read the Iliad in high school, in English class? Well, maybe I guess people were already falling down by the time you went to school. When I went to school, we had to read it, study it, write essays on it, and so forth. Well, nobody questions whether the Iliad was written. Nobody. And yet, you want to know something? There are only about six hundred manuscripts, and that's the best documented book, other than the Bible, other than the New Testament. And the first one that they found was 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 actually copied five hundred years after the original penning of the Iliad. I could say the same thing about all the records of all of the, all, the, all the Caesars in the Roman Empire. Nobody questions those records. So so if that's the case, how can anybody question? Thousands of manuscripts written by different people, many of whom claim to be eyewitnesses to this event. Think of it. We have an incredible amount of detailed, reliable evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead on that third day. That tomb was empty. Now, there are at least 14 categories of evidence. 14, not 14 pieces, but categories of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our short time together this morning, there's no way we can go through all 14. That would take weeks. So in our short time together this morning, we're going to look at three of those 14 categories. Now, in each category, there are specific pieces of evidence within the category. We're going to look at three. All right. Turn now to First Corinthians. We've been there already this morning. Chapter 15. And we're going to start now in verse three. Back up. We were already later in that letter, but in that chapter. But now we're going to be in First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 3 We You're going to notice how this is Paul, of course, writing to the Corinthian church. By the way, he wrote the letter of First Corinthians, <clears throat> excuse me, about 20 years little bit more than 20 years after the resurrection of jesus christ this is what he said writing to the corinthians for i delivered to you and notice the next three words at four as of first importance there was nothing more important for them to know than what he's about to write which i received now we're looking at the book of galatians in our in our, in our weekly scripture study on, on on text and we know that when it says that that he that he also received it means he received it as a direct revelation from jesus as well as reports from many different people he's writing 20 years after he had already had an opportunity to sit down with the apostles who themselves were eyewitnesses of the resurrection he was also a witness of the resurrected christ he had probably three or four separate appearances of jesus that we know of that are documented so he again is a reliable witness and he said I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, what? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, today we're going to look at our scriptures, in, in other words, the Gospels primarily. But, but in, when Paul was writing, he was talking primarily about the prophecies of the Old Testament. You see, that's another witness, as it were, indirect, not an eyewitness because they came hundreds of years. But what is direct was the fact that Jesus also fulfilled all the prophecies about him that were in the Old Testament. That's another level of witness. We don't have time to get into today. Again, that, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then look at verse five and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now, this goes on for another three verses talking about witnesses, but I just want you to see the categories here. Okay, Christ died and he was buried. He was raised on the third day and he appeared to many, many different witnesses. And of course, that's the gospel message. That's why it's of first importance. But notice who the witnesses were of. They were of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so the gospel message, the one thing, the resurrection of Christ, is what all the, the, the evangelists focused on. If you read through the book of Acts, you will find again and again and again that when, when, when evangelists like Peter and Paul first went to some people, the very first thing they convinced them of was that Jesus Christ is a Messiah who was raised from the dead. It's striking. I know one time when I looked through the book of Acts, I was really struck by that. I expected them to talk about the death of Christ, but but they zoomed right in on the resurrection. That tells us a lot about the importance of the fact of the resurrection to any kind of gospel preaching. The gospel message is supported by overwhelming evidence. All right. We're going to look at three categories this morning. We're going to follow the script as it were, the map that Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5. Number one, Jesus really died and was buried in a known, accessible tomb. Again, Jesus really died. We're going to see overwhelming evidence for that. And that he was buried in a known, accessible tomb. In other words, it was documented exactly, exactly where the tomb was. It was accessible. We know that because... When he was raised from the dead, there were people who came and knew where it was already. Mary, Magdalene, and and the apostles, and so forth. The, we're going to see that the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb obviously knew where it was, and they went back and reported that it was empty. So it was very well known, the location of the of the of the tomb that Jesus was buried in. That's the first thing we're going to look at. First category. The second one, that tomb was empty on the third day. It was empty. On the third day. In other words, he rose from the dead because his tomb that he'd been buried in was empty on that third day. There's overwhelming evidence that that tomb was empty. I want you to think about that. Overwhelming evidence that that tomb was empty. And in 2000 years, no credible person pointing to the facts has ever been able to dispute that fact. As miraculous as it is. That the tomb that Christ was buried in was empty on the third day when he was raised from the dead as he promised that he would. So that's the second one. First, Jesus really died and was buried in a known accessible tomb. We'll see evidence for that this morning. Two, the tomb was empty on that third day. And then three, after he was raised from the dead, Christ appeared to many different people. So he died. Okay, there were there were a lot of fraudsters and critics that wanted to say he didn't really die. You see, he may have been badly, badly wounded, but he didn't die. And therefore, he was able to be moved. And and therefore that that's why the tomb was empty, because he was never in it. See, there's a whole set of lies about that. So we're going to show this morning, first of all, okay, that he definitely died and was buried. Second of all, the tomb was definitely empty on the third day, and third, after he was raised from the dead, Christ appeared to many different people at different times and different places in other words there are there is evidence there is evidence specific evidence we'll see that detailed evidence verifiable pieces of evidence. what do I mean that the people who first heard about these things, had the ability to verify whether or not they were true. The enemies of Jesus Christ that had him put to death had the ability to verify whether or not these things were true. We're going to see that in all of the preaching that was done in Jerusalem by the apostles, we have no record of the high priests, the chief priests, the Pharisees, Pilate, anybody in the Roman government, ever stepping forward and contradicting anybody who was preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's strong evidence. Even his enemies had to admit that that tomb was empty. Okay, let's begin at the beginning. The first category of evidence we will look at today has to do with the death of Jesus and his burial. In other words, Jesus really died and he was buried in a known, accessible tomb. I want you to place yourself today As if you were a member of a jury who was listening to the arguments of an attorney that was going to prove three points and then conclude that based on those three points, Jesus Christ was was raised from the dead on the third day. Point, the first one, Jesus really died and was buried in a known, accessible tomb. Let's look at Gospel Luke, verse chapter 23, starting in verse 46. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 46. We're going to go to all four Gospels this morning. Again, just to reinforce the idea that it wasn't one witness that wrote a whole book about Jesus Christ's life, but especially death, burial and resurrection. All four Gospels spend a big chunk of the book documenting the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in specific detail. We'll start with Luke. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 46. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, "Certainly, this man was innocent." That's a profound thing to say by a centurion who was administering the death penalty to what we thought was a criminal. At the end of what he witnessed at the cross, he com- he concluded this man was innocent. We've made a terrible mistake, and yet he praised God for it because he knew what it meant. And all the crowds, I want you to notice key in on verse forty-eight and verse forty-nine. But first, in, in Verse 48. And all the crowds, plural, who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts, the crowds. All right. Now, these were primarily either onlookers, curiosity seekers or, or enemies that wanted to make sure he was dead. Okay, and notice there were crowds. What? There were lots and lots of people who saw the what is called here the spectacle, meaning it was a public event. Everybody could see it for their own eyes. When they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their breasts. Beating their breasts is a sign of of grief. It's sorrow. Verse forty nine. Notice, and all his acquaintances. And the women who accompanied him from Galilee, these are some of his disciples, were standing at a distance and notice once again, seeing these things, seeing them. You see, Jesus' death was a very public event. Extremely public. Crowds, acquaintances, women who accompanied him, they all witnessed this very public event. Many, many eyewitnesses. Fairly well established just on that basis alone that Jesus actually died on the cross. Please turn to John chapter 19, verse 30. John chapter 19, verse 30. Here we find John documenting the same moments. And then what happened after John chapter 19, starting in verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, these are his sworn enemies because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath but that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. What's going on here? Well, the Jews didn't want the, the bodies on the cross at sundown. And so they, they, they asked, they requested that those bodies not remain on the cross. And then the soldiers came and they broke the legs. Now, now, I don't want to get into details about the crucifixion, but the way you ultimately died of crucifixion was either a heart attack of sorts, or you couldn't breathe anymore, or one and then the other. So if you cut somebody's legs off, which itself is, a, is a, a broken anyway, broke them, not cut them off, then the body would just go boom. And, they, and then within minutes, they would be dead. And that they might be taken away. Verse 32. Notice the detail. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, notice next, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Here's another amazing detail coming next. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified. Notice the words, "saw" and testify. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? So that you, the reader of this gospel, also may believe. It's a profoundly evangelical thing to do to give overwhelming evidence about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have very credible eyewitness testimony here. About these things that, that he, he breathed, he, he, he had his spirit, he said I, I, he gave it up meaning he died. The soldiers came and they, they were going to br- break the legs of the three men on the cross so that they would clearly die. that when they came to Jesus, they didn't have to because they had seen that he was already dead. And then one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Jesus is there. He sees it. What does he see? I mean, Jesus, John is there. Jesus was there, too. And immediately blood and water came out. By the way, that showed that the blood was already separated from the serum and the blood clots. He who has seen has testified and his testimony. is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you may also believe. The apostle John was there. He saw these things and he presented this evidence so that readers would believe. I want you to notice something about who was there. He, Jesus was put to death by professional executioners. And that was their job to make sure that the criminal, as they thought it was dead. If they didn't do their job, they might've been the next people to be on the cross. That's how important it was that they, that they did their job, that they could certify that in fact, yes, they, we, we put them to death. That was their job to make sure he was dead. And they did their job. The Roman soldiers stayed until they determined that Jesus was physically dead. Now, about that blood and water coming out of his side, turns out, according to medical experts that know these things, that the blood and the water that flowed out of Jesus' side is exceptionally strong medical proof of death. death. So, that's another thing. All right. By the way, John perhaps didn't have didn't have any medical training. Luke did. John didn't. And so he was just reporting what he saw. You see, later on, people who knew about how bodies, you know, death and what were signs of death, they looked at that and said, well, there's clear evidence that Jesus was dead. All right, let's continue in the Gospel of John. Now go to verse 38 of John 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, a by the way, a prominent member of the council, the council that had gotten together in the in the second trial and declared him to be guilty, even though he was innocent. By the way, Joseph, Joseph didn't want to have anything to do with that verdict. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. We saw a lot of those in the gospel records for fear of the Jews leaders in Jerusalem asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate granted permission. So Joseph came and took away the body, his body, Jesus' body. Verse 39, another individual, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Now, did he have to tell us the the number of pounds? No. Why did he? Evidence. He was there. I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself the question about whether or not we know this kind of specific detail about the death of Caesar. Do we? No. About the death of Homer. You go through. There's nobody else We have this kind of detailed, specific record, eyewitness testimony like this. It's incredible. Again, Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen wrappings. Notice the specific detail with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. It turns out that that was also owned, that tomb, by Joseph of Arimathea. No one had ever been put in that tomb before Jesus. Notice that we know exactly where Jesus was buried. And it was really, it was next door to where he died on the cross where all those crowds were remember right next right next to it now now if if that didn't happen that would have been a really stupid place for john to say it happened because it was clear they knew exactly where it was it was like right around the corner from where he was crucified on the cross a known accessible tomb in a garden and it was in a new tomb notice the detail new tomb in which no one had yet been laid and therefore because of the Jewish day of preparation they had to bury the body before sundown since this tomb was nearby the cross they laid Jesus there now i want you to think about who these two men were because because john names them now that was sort of a daring thing to do although it was many years afterwards but he named the people and you know it was it was again it's credible because why would joseph and nicodemus want anybody to know After all, the Romans, the powerful Romans had just put this man to death. They probably would have preferred or if they weren't, if they didn't understand the significance, they would probably prefer that they were anonymous. But they're not. And John knows exactly who they are. Named names. Now, I don't know if Joseph and Nicodemus were still alive 20 years later, but they certainly were weeks later, months later. Anybody could have talked to them. And not only that, but clearly these prominent leaders in Jerusalem were also convinced that Jesus was dead. After all, what did they do? They asked for the body. Now, if he weren't dead, that would have been an interesting right, interaction. <laughs> right? We're going to bury you. Oh, no, you're not. Right? They were, they were convinced that he was dead. After all, you don't bury a person that you think is alive. They used the burial customs of the Jews right further evidence they were convinced that jesus was dead and they placed him in a tomb and buried him according to the jewish custom and as we've seen john gives specific detail verifiable it was very specific It wasn't general he was buried somewhere in jerusalem right it wasn't it wasn't just a blanket statement without any detail lots of details the number of pounds of myrrh and aloes. exactly where the tomb was The fact that it had never been used before. Amazing detail about the burial of Jesus. We know who owned the tomb. We know its age. We know its location. We know that the myrrh and aloes that they used to wrap the linen wrappings and hold them together, the spices weighed about 100 pounds. I want to ask you a question. If you have had somebody in your life who has died... My condolences, but I want to ask you a question. Could you recite this many details about what happened at the gravesite could, could you i couldn't this is amazing detail. The owner of the tomb, the age of the tomb, the location that, the fact that that the, that they wrapped him with with these spices and how much they weighed incredible. And that's just not, John was not the only one. We don't have time to go there. I've given you the scripture. You can go read it for yourself. Mark 15, verses 42 to 47. Mark gives us additional details about the burial of Jesus. He tells us that the tomb had been hewn out in the rock. We know exactly the sort of tomb it was. He tells us that a stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb, and he named other witnesses who could also testify to all these facts Of the burial of Jesus Christ. Please turn to Matthew chapter 27. Verse 62. And again. I am not trying to convince you today. Unless you haven't believed in Christ yet. That Jesus rose from the dead. Right. It's a cardinal belief. If we again. If you don't believe that. Then you're not a believer. It's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is not directly to, to convince you of anything. What it is to do is to get, make sure you're on with the facts, so that that you can be another witness of the of the overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Matthew twenty-seven verse sixty-two. Now on the la- on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, talking about Jesus now, said, after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. In other words, they anticipate they they they, they had some question about whether or not he might rise from the dead. And if not that, they wanted to make sure that nobody could get into that tomb before the third day, because after that, Jesus prediction wouldn't have been true. And so and their theory I don't know how much they believed it, but their theory that they gave to Pilate was that, you know what, if we don't do this, the disciples may come and steal him away and then tell people he was risen from the dead. By the way, that's one of the favorite lies that still gets told from people who are skeptics. And yet here we have his enemies unwillingly giving some of the strongest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So Pilate said, you have a guard. He gave him a Roman detail, probably four soldiers. Make it as secure as you know how. And they knew how. And they went and they made the grave secure. Nobody was getting out of that grave. So they thought. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. That seal was was, was a statement of the Roman Empire. That if anybody broke that seal, you have just broken the law. Of the, of the Romans, okay. The enemies made sure that his disciples could not steal the body and claim he was risen from the dead. So, when the tomb was found empty, it turns out that these guys had unwittingly provided some of the strongest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. How about that? Even his enemies. You can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. So that's the first. I provided evidence to you that Jesus died and was buried in a known accessible tomb. Number two, that tomb was empty on that third day. That tomb was empty on that third day. We're going to see that even his enemies, reluctantly to be sure, admitted this. His enemies admitted that that tomb was empty on the third day. All the evidence that exists concerning the tomb that Jesus was buried in. All the evidence says that on the first day of the week and thereafter, that tomb was empty. And the empty tomb is a dramatic witness to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, this is Sunday. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Now, she had been at the cross. She knew where where Jesus was buried. She was able to find it in the dark. Mary came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw something, saw that that tremendous stone that once it was rolled downhill and put in place, needed several men to push it back out again. Not to mention the fact that the Roman seal was on it. And nobody was going to do that. Nobody with any brains. Mary Mag- And also there were soldiers there. <laughs> Remember, they witnessed. Believe me, they witnessed. We're going to see in a minute what they witnessed. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John's way of talking about himself, right? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He must have been fairly confident of that. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So now this is Mary who at this point, you can see, does not think that Jesus rose from the dead. She's the first witness that he did because the tomb was empty. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. Verse 4. And the two were running together. Now, I want to talk about something. Here's more detail, right? If this were apocryphal, if this were mythic, Right, the writer might well have embellished and said, and they they actually were, were taken off the ground by an angel and plopped there immediately. But that's not what it says, right? The two were running together. This is, can you picture it? Can you understand that this man was there and he was one of the two that was running? The two were running together. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Can you see how this is specific, eyewitness, credible testimony? And stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there. Those were the same wrappings that Joseph and, and Nicodemus made sure were wrapped around the body of Christ with those spices, which was like glue holding those linens together and on the body of Jesus. They saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Now, if, if I were John and was trying to embellish the story, I would have said I went in first. <laughs> He didn't, though. See, he was there and he was telling exactly what happened. Verse six. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, by the way, as you would expect. If, for example, if there were thieves that took the body, you would expect them to be in such a hurry because this Roman soldiers outside, they were just throwing it all together in a heap and got out of there. That's not what Peter and John saw not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, this is John, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he might must rise again from the dead. This account bears all the markings of a genuine firsthand experience. Here we have three witnesses each of whom saw the empty tomb that morning, Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the apostle John, two of which. Wrote more than one letter in the Bible that we have, Peter and John, John also wrote this gospel. Now, here's what's amazing. In addition to Mary Magdalene, by the way, there was another woman with her mentioned in the other gospels, Simon Peter. And the other disciple, we have other witnesses that were on the scene. Remember, there was a guard stationed at the tomb. Well, it turns out that these guards who had been guarding the tomb also reported that it was empty. Also, Roman soldiers hardened. Their job was to make sure that no one got there and they had to report it's empty. It's the last thing they would have reported, right, unless if it wasn't true, There's there's no way that these soldiers, because then they knew that they were under the wrath of Pilate. They had failed in their duty. And we'll see what they said about that, which would have been even more stupid and shocking if it weren't true. To do that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse one. Matthew 28, verse one. Now, I hope I don't spoil the suspense, but these these guards were going to later on run into the city of Jerusalem, go to the chief priests and report everything that had happened. And in verses one to four, we get to see what really happened. All of this, I want you to think about that. All of these things, the soldiers went back and reported. These things happened. Look at verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now watch this. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel, these are things that the soldiers later reported. A severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Can you see that's pretty specific too? Can you picture it? It's, It's vivid vivid things that that that, that, that uh, Matthew was reporting and that the soldiers went back and said to him. An angel sat, rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That's what actually happened. Go forward to verse 11 now. these guards were part felt the earthquake they saw the an angel descend from heaven and roll away the stone and sit on top of the stone they, they saw his appearance they described it like lightning clothing white as snow by the way that's the same way again and again and again the writers of the of the scriptures describe angels you look in the book of resurrection of Revelation you'll see it Verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That's what they reported. Look at verse 11. Now, while they, these are the women now, were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. That they were guarding the tomb. By the way, they weren't asleep, and the earthquake had happened, and an angel rolled the stone away, and he, he was—he his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all of that that had happened. Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders, chief priests and the elders, and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. That's called a bribe. It's called a bribe. And they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Do you know anything about the military and being on guard duty? If you if they find that you were asleep, you've had it. All right. But 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 there was the the chief priests and the elders were so desperate about this. What are we going to do now? We have Roman soldiers declaring that the tomb was empty. There's only one thing we can do. How much money do we have today? Now that would have been hard for the chief priests and the Pharisees to do, you know. But they were pretty cheap, right? They were used to taking money, not giving it. They, let's get a large sum of money and bribe these guys. It's the only way we can figure out how to stop this story, this these facts from getting out. And and they told them what to say. <laughs> say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Really? I don't know about you, but if you were a disciple that had just seen Jesus die on the cross, that had run away when he was having his trials, that were convinced he hadn't risen from the dead and were themselves cowering in fear about what might happen next, I'm not so sure I would have gone to that tomb with the Roman soldiers there and steal away a body and and hoping they stayed asleep while I did it can imagine what what they needed to do, right? They had to all get together and push that stone, (laughs) right? Go in there. And by the way, do you really think if that's what happened, they would have taken the time? Wait a minute now. This is what we need to do. All right, we need to leave all the linen wrappings there and we need to take that headpiece and we need to roll it up nice and neat. Really? I don't think so. With Roman soldiers that could wake at any instant? No, I don't think so. Not to mention the fact That if you were the disciples and you had the dead body of Jesus, what would be the first thing you'd want to do with it? Bury it. Get rid of the evidence that he died because we're about to tell everybody that he rose from the dead. Now, they loved and revered Jesus. Do you actually think they would have buried him without his grave clothes? There's no way. They would have just, it would have taken more time. The soldiers could have woken up and, and then they wouldn't have been able to bury him with dignity. So if that was the story, they would have left the grave clothes on him. But, of course, we know that wasn't the truth. That tomb was empty. What's more, there is a complete lack of evidence to support any alternative explanation besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After this event, when, when uh, by the way, even after this, the disciples still went back and were afraid of the Romans. And it wasn't, by the way, until Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to them that they took courage. And when that happened, then they went out on that Pentecost morning after seeing Jesus ascended into heaven and they boldly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what they emphasized? The resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, where all the enemies were. And and, and if if they if that had been a fraud, then they would have they would have understood by that point. That the soldiers knew what they woke up and knew what had happened, and the Romans would have been on to them, and the chief priests would have been on to them, and now they wouldn't have lasted ten minutes. But from the very outset, the apostles in Jerusalem now, which by the way, if I would if I were Jesus, I didn't think I was gonna rise from the dead, that would be the last place I would want my disciples to be preaching the, that I did, because all his enemies were in Jerusalem. From the very outset, the apostles in Jerusalem made many believers out of Jews by proclaiming the bodily resurrection of Christ. And they did that just a short walk away from the tomb. And again, the worst enemies of Jesus, chief priests, Pilate, they were all in Jerusalem. Think about that. They had power and authority in that city. They had every reason to disprove the story of the resurrection. They had access to all kinds of information. They had access to the grave scene. They could have interrogated the witnesses. And yet, there is no record of them ever contesting the claims that the apostles made that Jesus had risen from that tomb. His sworn enemies, power, access to information, access to the tomb, could have interrogated the eyewitnesses. Never did any of them stand up and dispute the apostles when they said Jesus had risen from the dead. No record of that.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, testimony by the enemies at the court is some of the strongest, most credible testimony there can be. Number three, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to many people at different times and at different places. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I would have reported fraudulently that Jesus appeared to some people, I would think I would want to limit that to maybe one or two because I know the more I say, the more people I name, and the more places he was supposed to have been, the more likely that people can stand up and say, that is a crock. Well, it turns out that that, that, that in the Gospels and in, in in the Book of Acts, they, there are many many records of post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that convinced his followers that he had actually risen from a dead. I mean, it's pretty pretty strong. I don't know about you, but if somebody that said he was going to rise from the dead on the third day, and it was the third day, and he shows up in my living room, I would have said, yeah, I think he did, right? Well, it turns out, too, that the the New Testament documents, that there were over 500 people who witnessed one or more of these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Over 500 people stood up and said, yes, we, too, saw him. He was risen from the dead. All kinds of different people. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians as we close this morning, chapter 15, verse 5. Well, verse 5 has the, we're going to get to verse 5, but I'll just read one more time the set up to it, because that's where we began this morning. So we will actually start in verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. First Corinthians 15, three. Remember this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And we've seen this morning strong evidence for each of those three statements, right? Many facts about that. And then verse five, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelfth. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Notice what says next. Most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, if we had more time this morning, I would I would also have brought you to specific passages in the Gospels, in the book of Acts that can document clearly that he was there. For example, in the Gospel of John, there's an account where Jesus appeared on the first day to his disciples. A man by the name of Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus comes back a week later. Right. And he comes again. By the way, both times he's walking through the doors. Right closed doors because they were afraid and then the second time thomas was there and he said thomas i know you don't believe i rose from the dead but i want you to do something you said you wouldn't believe it unless you put your hands on the nail prints of my hands and put your hand inside the side where the spear went so i'm inviting you to do that right now okay that was that was one of the appearances all right well so the apostles who proclaimed the resurrection of jesus they were all witnesses. Most of the witnesses were still alive 20 years later. Why 20 years again? Jesus rose from the dead either in 32 or 33 AD. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in 55 AD. That's over 20 years later. And he testifies that most of the witnesses were still alive. (laughs) That would have given the skeptics and the critics and the haters and the enemies 20 years to try to dispute that. Think about that. 20 years. By the way, they've now had over 2,000 years to dispute it, and they still haven't come up with any counter-evidence. Incredible counter-evidence. You can make anything up you want. Theories. Lots of theories. No evidence. In the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, just 40 days, Christ made 11 appearances to different people at various times, in various places, eleven separate appearances. That's a lot. Again, if I were trying, if I were making this story up, I would have had that one appearance to 500, and said, "See, you know." No, there are 11 appearances of Jesus Christ in his resurrection body to different people at different places and different times between the day he was risen from the grave and the day he ascended into heaven. I want to conclude this morning with a statement that this man made. I don't expect you to know who he is. I'll tell you who he is. His name was Charles John Darling. He briefly served as the Lord Chief Justice of England. No slouch when it comes to evidence and testimony. This is what he said. He said, we as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust the teachings for example in the bible the miracles of jesus and if we had to take everything on trust i for one as as a, as a judge would be skeptical the crux of the problem here is whether jesus was or was not what he proclaimed himself to be that must surely depend upon the truth or otherwise of the resurrection and on that greatest point we are not merely asked To have faith in its favor as living truth. The resurrection exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual, circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. How about the jury today? Have you come to the same conclusion? I hope so. Well, amen to that he's risen from the dead. And happy resurrection day to everybody. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for providing all of this evidence, all of this testimony from so many sources. We know that there's we have we know the details verifiable of the death of Jesus, a very public event. We know that he was buried. We have details about that, including where the tomb was and how many pounds of myrrh and aloes were used. We thank you for the for the evidence that that tomb was empty on the third day and the evidence, furthermore, that that Jesus, your son, in his glorified resurrection body made over made 11 appearances to over 500 people. But, Father, most of all, we thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and it's in totality and that by preaching that gospel, whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will never perish but have eternal life. We ask you this morning, Father, that we would be able to be as bold as the apostles were once they had seen the resurrected Christ, even though we have not seen and yet believe, so that we, too, would be able to boldly proclaim the truths that we've looked at this morning. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with that, you're dismissed. Enjoy the rest of your resurrection day. And hopefully a lot of you can be here again Thursday evening when we have our Bible study. Take care.